welcome to the Modern CFO Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Seske. Today, we're joined by Cameron Heiser, CFO of Zoom Info. Cameron, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Before we dive into our chat, let me provide some context as to why I'm so thrilled to have Cameron with us. Cameron's a graduate of the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. He cut his teeth in the investment world early on afterwards and had a meteoric rise as a leading financial professional as a CFO. Cameron structured significant sales of businesses, provided his expertise on IPO processes, and more recently has risen to the leadership and C-suite of Zoom Info. And what is most impressive about Cameron, in my opinion, is that he has spent his career delivering growth internally and externally for other businesses as well. And if you're a sales or business development professional, then I'm confident that you recognize Zoom Info as one of the single most important tools in your arsenal. So just to kick things off, Cameron, again, thanks so much for being here. The title of the podcast, The Modern CFO, would you be okay with just giving us a personal definition of what that term means to you and what the skill sets are in terms of continuously changing demand, especially in 2021? Sure. So I think of the CFO's role as really being the steward of the company's both business model and capital as well as the bridge between, you know, the management team and shareholders. So I think, you know, as the CFO role has evolved over time, there is a lot that gets bundled into that. Everything from, you know, the ability to report and understand drivers of the business to helping the management team itself improve and grow, as well as really working with the capital markets and, various different transactions, whether that's acquisitions or sales or fundraising. And finally, you know, making sure that investors understand, you know, where we're going and, you know, are excited about that journey. Thanks so much for that. You know, just before we hopped onto this recording, we were talking about sort of the spectrum of CFOs in terms of being more operationally focused and strategic versus the background of having financial engineering experience. And we sort of discovered that you may fall into a third category. Can you help me explain exactly what that third category is and where you fall along that spectrum? Sure. You know, I, I think about it as, and you know, luckily for me, I've had a variety of experiences where you know, I've been able to kind of put my foot in a bunch of different areas. I do think that the transactional orientation of a CFO is really important, knowing what happens in an acquisition, whether you're acquiring or being acquired, understanding how to you know, fundraise and make sure that your capital structure is as, uh, as efficient as possible. You know, For me, having exposure to both debt financing and equity financing over time has been great. And you don't want to be entirely focused on just capital structure and transactions, but that is ultimately what drives returns for shareholders. So having that point of view is important along with the ability to help the company grow and mature, making sure that you're making the right investments within the company to power growth or profitability over time. And you know, certainly the history of CFOs, you also need to be able to report your results and adhere to gap and everything else. So like all of these different facets have become more and more important for, for current CFOs. And I think it's it's actually hard to make sure that you're on top of all the different areas that are that are important. Excellent. And for those who don't know Zoom Info or what the company does, 
Can you explain a little bit about what made you excited to join the team and walk us through some of the challenges that you've had during the pandemic as every company in the world is trying to restructure their plans for 2020 and 2021 and how they're trying to stay afloat and still drive business while there is a huge digital push underway all at the same time? Sure. So I'll start with what ZoomInfo does. ZoomInfo helps sales and marketing teams. And recently we've rolled out products to help recruiters as well understand the world around them and their prospects and customers. And we do this by gathering uh, data from literally millions of different sources, normalizing and you know bringing the quality up of that data so that customers can identify their next best customers so that they know who to talk to and what the right time to talk to that person is and what's the right thing to say. So if you think about our platform, we provide information about companies, everything from how many employees that are, what's the revenue within that company to org charts within that companies and what technologies they use and what they're planning to buy over the next one, three, six, 12 months. And with that information, a salesperson can identify who to talk to and figure out when, how to prioritize the different prospects that they have. The interesting thing is when I started, we were actually called Discover.org and I actually had no idea who Discover.org was either, but I, I met the team and the investors and was really excited about the personalities behind it, as well as the business model of the company. I think one of the things that sets us apart is that we are a high growth software company. You know, We've been growing north of 40% organically since I've been here, but we're also very profitable. And you know, for me, I've worked at profitable growth companies for a while. And I think that that really is the best combination for both investors, but also enabling us to drive growth over the long term because we can reinvest that operating leverage that you generate in a software company back into continued growth. So we're moving now into 2020, the pandemic hits. What were some of the biggest challenges you had to overcome? And did the pandemic actually become a tailwind? I think about traditional sales processes and there's everything from golf and meetings and lunches to now you're saying that there's a huge push towards not just collecting data, but actually utilizing and mobilizing to deliver sales insights and marketing insights that are going to drive business. So what were some of the biggest challenges you faced and were there some positives that came out of the last year? Yeah. So for us, interestingly, 2020 was really the tale of two halves. In the first half, you had many of our customers and prospects who were effectively shocked by the, the economic change that was set upon them as a result of the pandemic. We had sales cycles elongate. We had many of our kind of larger upsell deals or seed expansion deals get pushed or canceled because people just didn't know what was going on. I think as the year went on, so if you got past the kind of March, April, May, June timeframe, people started to acclimate to the environment. They started to understand that they still needed to run their business. They still needed to find their next best customer. And yeah, I think the secular trend that we've seen even before the pandemic was people were looking for better ways to engage with their customers making their sales and marketing teams more effective and more efficient. And the natural way in our minds to do that 
is to use data to make better decisions. High quality data drives better outcomes. And that's been our mantra for the last 14 years. So as companies got more acclimated to the environment, they started to determine that, you know, maybe they shouldn't be worried about conserving cash at all costs and actually looking to grow the business. I think it became more of a tailwind for us because that secular trend that we'd seen of people trying to improve their go-to-market motions became in much starker relief when you can't go to a conference and collect business cards anymore to figure out who to talk to. When you can't take people out to golf outings or baseball games in order to get the inside scoop from the company. When you can't schmooze people at dinners and you know to meet other people in the company. Our platform allows people to do all of those things from their desk or home or whatever else. So we're really excited about that acceleration that we've seen of that trend in the second half. And I think ultimately, you know, our view is that this is really a one-way door. I tried to look up undigitize as a verb in the dictionary the other day, and it doesn't even show up. It just doesn't happen that people go backwards once they've found these uh, better and digital ways to run motions. I love that. I will try to find a definition of undigitize for you or make it up, but I feel like it would be completely worthless. I think you're right. I think once we get into these strains of efficiency, it doesn't really make sense to go back. doesn't mean that you're not nurturing really valuable business relationships. It means that you're automating what needs to be automating. So something you just said that really stuck out to me was the term profitable and SaaS company. So I want to dive back into that for just a moment and discuss the sort of the leadership capacity that made you feel confident to lead a team through these two halves of the year that you just described. So I know that there are always different leadership styles and different levels of transparency in teams and across teams. What were the, you know, those key stylistic and leadership skills that you felt that over the course of your career you developed and then deployed throughout the last year? I think that the most important thing, and you know, at least for me in terms of how I view my role as a CFO, is that A, you need to be long-term focused. You can't be focused on what's necessarily kind of happening right now and panic about whatever. You need to look past what the current hurdle is and understand what are you going to do to overcome that hurdle that isn't just a quick fix, but is actually going to drive value for the company in the long term. And yeah, so I think that kind of being calm in the face of pressure and being able to have that long-term view, no matter what's going on, is the most important aspect of things. And I think one of the things that I love about Zoom Info is that it's not just me that has that view, but executive team overall is constantly looking for how do we get 1% better every day and ensure that we're reaching that long-term target that we've set for ourselves in everything we do. Do you attribute any specific, maybe negative experiences in a previous role that led to develop this long-term viewpoint? I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, I was told once while markets were melting and there was a lot of panic in the streets that the world is only going to end one time. So decide whether or not this is it and then continue to move on, which is a very veteran and stoic way to view the very real challenges that we faced throughout the last year. Were, were there certain experiences or was there one that you can think of that helped you mold that level of long-term perspective that allowed you to be calm under pressure? 
I don't know that I'd say there's any specific experience. I've kind of had the luxury of seeing a lot of different things over time. Among the most formative things is, you know, I graduated from college in the kind of late 90s and, you know, went into the workforce and worked for an investment bank that focused on technology companies in 1998, which was like the huge rise of, you know, kind of pre-internet bubble, all these, you know, fast growth, high multiple software companies were changing the world. And I think that uh, living through that kind of era where everything was changing, everything was fast, everything was super valuable, and then kind of going through the collapse of the internet bubble and kind of always having a view that valuation isn't about, you know, how many eyeballs you make, but ultimately about how much money you can make in the long term, I think helped to validate what I learned in school and then experienced through that real world example that everyone lived through. But uh, I was able to kind of really internalize that and make it mine. And, you know, I think just personality wise, it helps to be relatively even keeled, which luckily for me, that's just how I've been, I think, as long as I can remember. <laughs> well, while we're talking back into postgrad days, have you noticed that there are certain patterns or highlights of successful CFOs, maybe before you raised into that position, or maybe discussing what a successful CEO CFO relationship looks like? I know that there's still a relatively high turnover rate in the CFO position, and I know that there's also you know a lot of very different personality types that take on the role. So I'm wondering if you see in particular a few very clear patterns that most wouldn't, especially across the broad array of your experiences. That's a great question because I feel like everyone's got to come from somewhere. And you know, the role of a CFO is, is so varied that you get people from different backgrounds, whether that's you know, people from a, a banking background, which is you know similar to what I had. You get people from you know kind of an FPA or MBA type background, you get people from an accounting background, and then you get people that uh, just kind of learned it organically. I don't know that I would say that any one of those is necessarily better than others. I think they do different things, kind of put you in a position for different situations that may be better or worse. But I think that the most important thing that you know I see of CFOs that I really admire, you know, think are high quality is that they're always looking to learn something new. They're not just focused on this is what I learned and how I kind of approach it, but you know, they're always looking at the situation and trying to figure out how it's different and what you can learn from that situation or honestly putting themselves in situations that are uncomfortable. If you're a banker, you probably don't know a ton about accounting and certainly are not the world's foremost expert on gap. But putting yourself in that situation where you're not just relying on someone else to kind of solve it for you, but actually solving that problem, that makes for people that are able to weather a bunch of different situations and able to drive you know, value through the unknown, which ultimately, you know, there's always going to be twists and turns in the road and you want to make sure you get to the right place at the end of the day. Cameron, I think if there's one thing anyone takes away from this whole conversation, they should just put that on repeat every morning when they wake up and are doing some daily affirmations or something. I love that. The, the insatiable curiosity to put yourself into uncomfortable situations and continue to grow even once you're at the CFO level. 
I think that's really admirable. I was wondering though, in your explanation, if you found that there were different demands by the investment type. So one of the things I think makes you so compelling as a guest on the podcast and as a really successful CFO is that you've been across so many types of, as you mentioned, sort of a third category of CFO, which is predominantly transaction-based. How have those different types of transactions given you experience to maybe lead in different capacities or are some more challenging than others? I know that there's typically a hallmark of being the CFO during an IPO, but there is significantly more than that in your background and would love to get a, you know, your personal perspective on that. Sure. I do think that different stages of companies do require different skill sets. And yeah, I think those stages kind of largely align to your investment types. If you think about an earlier stage company that's building the company and you know is probably more likely to be venture-backed, it's going to require someone who's probably a, a little bit more internally focused as a builder of processes and a builder of teams. Yeah, I personally find that to be a really exciting kind of phase of the world. But then, you know, as companies grow up, they sophisticate in different ways. They need to, the CFO needs to be a little bit more outwardly facing. So if you think about in a PE backed company or even more so in a public company, that outward facing role becomes much more important. The ability to articulate the strategy and business model of the company and what is going to drive value over the long term is, is becomes more and more important as opposed to just articulating the vision of the company. But you know, how is the company going to navigate the world in front of it becomes more important. And you know, the other piece of it is, is as you grow, you just end up driving more complexity, whether that's complexity in the business, whether it's complexity around capital structure, whether it's complexity around potential acquisitions and growth through various different vectors. And you know, that complexity starts to mean that you need to, you do need to round out more of uh, kind of that curiosity aspect of things that you're able to articulate that curiosity and manage it in a way where everyone feels comfortable with the risks that that come along with that. I think that really aligns with your comment on seeking discomfort. You have to seek out additional complexity in a role that we just discussed has a very broad range of responsibilities. What do you look for in a team that you're putting together, even if it's a small team that you're driving on a day-to-day basis? Are there a mixed set of skills that reflect the push towards continuously seeking out discomfort and additional complexity in the midst of a a complicated role already? Or do you surround yourself by people who are most communicative or can deliver data in the most concise way? I often look for team members that complement me and complement each other. Obviously, you're always going to want to find people that have a specific skill set that meets the needs. But I think from a personality perspective and you know, from a background perspective, finding people that aren't just like you is what ultimately kind of makes for a better team. One of my kind of prior controllers was a very outgoing, very team building type person that was actually a great compliment for me because I tend to be a lot more analytical and, you know, kind of thinking about how to move pieces on the chessboard as opposed to 
trying to get the team as uh, kind of excited as possible. So I think finding those personalities that can complement the team overall is part of the most important thing about building a team and making uh, as successful as possible. Excellent. Well, I want to sort of switch gears and maybe fire a couple of rapid questions at you. So I hope you're prepared for that. But I want to get into sort of the mindset of Zoom Info in 2021. What are you thinking about right now? And what are you most excited about in 12 months and then in the next three to five years? I know that those are sort of different uh, categories. And now we're a few months into 2021. But what is most pressing today? And then what are you, I suppose, most excited about in three to five years in your role now and for the company? Sure. We're super excited about where we are right now. I think we've acquired uh, ZoomInfo and changed our name, as I mentioned before. But uh, along with that, we rebuilt a whole new platform that took our service from being something that was more of a lookup tool to find information about companies or, or individuals and change that to a real engine to drive your go-to-market motion, to take signals from the world outside, whether that's intent or people changing jobs or getting funding or being acquired. All of those signals are important things for a sales or marketing person to make sure that they're capturing, but then automatically pushing a motion out against that. So we found that a lot of our customers look at if a if you sell security software as an example, if a company has hired a new VP of security, that's a really good signal that you should go and talk to them. If they've come to your website five times, that's a good signal that you should go talk to them. If they're doing a lot of research on the web or whatever on security systems, that's a good signal that you should go talk to them. So we have a platform now where you can take all of those signals, match them against companies that you know, are good fits for what you sell, and then put that through an automated motion to go out to them. And so part of what we've done is kind of taken this great product and, you know, really unique capability set, and we're investing more behind rolling out additional features in terms of automation or rolling that out to recruiters or, you know, pushing out internationally. So I think that is the kind of short-term excitement that we're focused on. And then over the next three to five years, I think it's really transforming that tactical go-to-market capability set into the go-to engine for any sales and marketing team out there. I was thinking about the CFO role in terms of having the ability to be incredibly competent at a constant reprioritization sequence. And it almost sounds like you also deliver that to all of your customers in terms of alerting them when there's the closest opportunity for them to capitalize on prospective deal or, you know, encouraging those to utilize all of your data. So I think that the constant reprioritization is so important, especially as we're all, for the most part, remote and we've got more disparate team environments. Sometimes there's a very difficult task in front of a lot of companies in deciding how to maintain some sort of solidarity and vision in terms of strategy to go attack their sales and marketing goals. And I think what you're doing there is giving a priority to a lot of maybe ideas and insights that just wouldn't be available today. So I'm really glad we brought all of this back into the idea that data and really 
mobilizing all this data is really a big piece of the future of a part of a business that's been very manual for a very long time, almost all of history. So this leads me into a question that may be slightly off topic, but gets me excited and I hope it does to you as well. I want to think about what you are trying to decide, maybe underestimated, something that nobody else is really thinking about, but from your vantage point, you see that the world just doesn't quite understand yet. Maybe it's misunderstood or maybe we're just not estimating it uh, to the proportion that you think. So I'd love to get your opinion on that. And if there's somebody who's leading that charge, maybe a, a mentor or a role model or, model or somebody you read a book about during the pandemic, I'd love to hear more on that. Sure. I, I don't know if it's underestimated by everyone, but I think I'm constantly surprised at how true the statement is. But it's, in my mind, there's a, a statement, and I, I don't know who to attribute it to, but it's basically that change is less impactful in the short term than you realize or than you might think it would be, but much more impactful in the long term. And I think that if you think about the innovation that's happened to date, I think all of us would look back on the last 10 or 20 years and say, the world has completely changed. You know, we have cell phones and advanced computing. We have cloud computing. We have software companies that didn't even exist 20 years ago. It's just very different than where we were. And I think that the crazy thing is, is that we're just at the beginning of innovation and how things change. If you think about accounting software as an example, you know, much of the accounting software that people use in a corporate setting, they still have general ledgers. It's still automating the kind of green shaded people in the back room. It's just putting it into a computer and using your ledger in a, in a very similar way. But that will change over time. There are inklings of those things that, that'll change, you know, Blockchain is one of those things that could totally change the world of accounting and how people interact with information that is just, you know, almost mind boggling to think about. I think Zoom Info is a, is a microcosm of that where, you know, sales and marketing, you think about a CRM system, it's largely, you know, kind of codified the experience that sales and marketing people have had. It's helping managers manage the process, but it hasn't changed how people go to market. It hasn't changed. People still go to conferences. They still, you know, sell door to door. They still, you know, take people out to, uh, for entertainment as a way of gathering information. And, you know, that has been just the way that people have sold for decades and centuries. And it's, you know, inefficient. I think that, uh, one of the interesting things that you pointed out earlier is that ZoomInfo is a, is a very profitable SaaS company. A big part of our being profitable is that we've turned our sales and marketing motion on its head. We use our own data and insights and you know, our big investors in technology in order to drive an industry-leading efficiency around go-to-market, which ultimately makes us profitable and able to grow. I think that those changes in technology and to think about where we're going to be 20 years from now is probably underappreciated relative to where we've come from. Well, let me posit one last question. And what I would love to know is if there's a single person or leader that you think encapsulates what you just described in terms of pushing forward this environment of 
really driving this growth from what we experienced in digitalization today and over the last several years into the future. And if you don't have a person in mind, then why don't you let all the listeners know maybe one great habit that you picked up over the periods of lockdown or something that uh, they can maybe ascribe to in the future? I don't know that I have a person, although I think that our CEO, Henry, I, I would definitely, anyone who has a chance to meet him, his view on the world of just getting 1% better every day, ultimately changing what you do, is very refreshing. And I think that focus on driving success, but doing it efficiently is something that everyone should aspire to. And finally, you know, one thing that I picked up, honestly, I can't say that, that I've changed everything, although... There are two things that I now have better appreciation for. One is that my kids in particular need to be uh, <laughs> need to be interacting with other people and the fact that they're starting back in private in, in a hybrid school here in, here in Washington is a great thing. And uh, from a habit perspective, I have to say that I've exercised a lot more, which hopefully I can continue once the world opens up again. Absolutely. You're relying on a Peloton or any of those... Uh crazy I, uh, that are sweeping across uh, the country here? As, as a totally random side note, we actually got stuck on the East Coast for most of the pandemic over the summer. And I just got an old bike and rode up and down the coast in Maine for most wow. of it. And then and then when we moved back, I did get a Peloton. So, um, <laughs> so a little of both. Well, and for anyone who doesn't know, that was a purely random guess. And I also have my bike sitting about five feet away from me. I'm an indoor trainer here in Philadelphia, so I did not uh, not expect that answer, although I do look forward to the warmer days in which I would love to have Maine be the, uh, the backdrop. But Cameron, I want to thank you so much for all of your time and all of the insights that you provided. I'm very excited to watch the future growth of Zoom Info, especially with you and the current CEO at the helm. And I am exceptionally excited as you start to drive even further growth in all the businesses who utilize your tools. And I cannot thank you enough for your time. For those who enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts. And Cameron, one more time, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Andrew, thank you for having me. It's been great. Thanks.